What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. Before we jump into today's conversation with Harry Dry, there's a couple things that we need to go over first. Number one, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a rating and a review. The more positive ratings and reviews you get, the more it helps new people find the show and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here. And if you're one of those people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes. I put out a brand new interview every single Monday and a brand new takeaways episode where I pull out some of the key points from each interview every single Thursday. And to everybody listening, make sure you screenshot this, post it to your Instagram story tag at my social life podcast, and I'll feature you on the account and send you a message as well. Now, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Harry Dry. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly, and today we're joined by Harry Dry. And Harry is the mind behind Marketing Examples, a website and newsletter that shares case studies of the finest real-world marketing examples. And prior to that, he built Yeezy Dating, a dating site made exclusively for fans of Kanye West that led him to having a call with the CFO of Yeezy. And I'm very excited to have him here on the podcast today. Harry, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Jacob. It's a, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. Done some press ups, ready to go. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the looking forward to it. I'm excited to have you here, man. Where I want to start. So when I was doing preparation for this for this podcast, I was listening to, to some other interviews you've done and reading articles that you've been featured in. And one thing that I no one ever really talked about or asked you about was high school. People usually start in college, but I didn't see much about high school. So I wanted to ask you, what was your high school experience like? What were you like? And I've seen somewhere written that you've always been ambitious. So like, what were some of your goals at that time when you were 16, 17? That's a, yeah, you're right. No one's ever asked that before. Um, I don't even thought about that in 10 years, probably either. Um, high school. So at high school, I was really, uh, I was driven, but in the sense that uh, literally to get good grades and play sport a lot. So I, I it was maths, English, sciences, like we had GCSEs in England and then you have A-levels and the goal was just to smash them up really and, and, and do really well in them. And um, I think that was probably because at the time that was what my challenge was. I couldn't really see beyond that. And then as soon as you sort of go into university, you realize that all that stuff really isn't, isn't that important. But I think if high school taught me anything, it probably was uh, probably a work ethic. I mean, it's a bit of a corny answer, but I think that I definitely worked hard at high school and, and um yeah, it's helped, it's helped me out, I think, in the long run. Mm-hmm. And then so I ended up going to Durham University for economics. Was there, was marketing, when you were finishing high school and going into university, was marketing of interest to you at that time? Or was that something you kind of found through your time at university? So actually, no. Like, even at Durham, I didn't care about marketing at all. And even beyond Durham, I didn't really care about marketing. I think Durham was, I did economics and really hated it at all. I, I think I left high school wanting to be like a banker. That was my my goal, my vision, to make a lot of money. And sort of that quickly kind of crashed down when I hit university because I, I just realized that I didn't want to be stuck in a suit all day doing math sums for the rest of my life, really. So at Durham, first year was very unmotivated, which was the first time in my life I'd felt like, uh, I'd felt like, yeah, just what, what am I even doing? I was watching a lot of Breaking Bad in, in bed, really. That was what first year was. And um, and then I this friend of mine like, made friends with this guy and we started doing uh, like art projects together. So we had this one idea where 
it was the end of term and I think I had won a hundred pounds from a bet was, it was like, it was, I, I bet on England to do something in the world cup and won a hundred pounds. So I had this money, we just wanted to do something fun with it. So we bought a load of flowers and, um, I think we bought like a hundred, it was a hundred pounds worth of flowers and we laid them out on this bridge and, and we spelled out, it was at the end of exam time. So we spelled out, uh, take a flower and say, thank you. It's pretty corny looking back the idea being that to say thank you to, I don't know, your lecturers or people serving you food in the canteen or whatnot, who laid out all the flowers and, um, on the, and in the morning on this, on Elbert bridge, it's like the big bridge in Durham. And, uh, we, we got up about 4am, laid all the flowers out. And then we went back to sleep, got up at six to see the response. Like hopefully people are taking all these flowers we've laid out. And, um, they got they got taken away by the like by the, the street cleaner people so we were thinking damn like we spent all this money got nothing from it but fortunately before we went to bed we took some photographs of the flowers so we we then like sent these out to the press and we had our little story being like you know durham students do this blah 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 but they get taken away and it, it just sort of taught taught me a little bit that and it, yeah ended up on like the radio in 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 local uh local yeah local radio stations and it was a really minor thing looking back, but at the same time, it was, it, it taught me, I suppose that if you, if you do do a little bit odd stuff, sometimes you can get a reaction from it. And it was the first time seeing something I'd done in the media, I guess. And it kind of lit the fire, I suppose. And then, and then, uh, the rest of my years at Durham, uh, again, just didn't care about my degree at all. was really unmotivated, learned how to code, um, in my, my second year, me and my friend kept doing these like performance art stunts just to, that's kind of what I was doing at that point. So we bought a post box one time as well. And it was the, the phrase was like, write a letter to your future self. So you'd post these letters into the post box and then we'd post them back to you, uh, on the date you stamped. So it'd be like 20, 20 years time. And then you could read what you wrote. And again, that made the paper and stuff. And that's kind of what I spent my time doing really. It didn't really lead to anything directly at all, but it was, um, that was my university days. <laughs> and so with that performance art, I've heard you say that you started a guerrilla marketing group in college. Was that, that performance art, was that the guerrilla marketing or did the performance art spawn the guerrilla marketing as like the next iteration of it? It, it was that. So we did, we did a few more things. Like I'm trying to, oh, we had like a, had like a no phones club as well, where you'd kind of gather uh, at, on this hill with this random hill in Durham, but you couldn't bring any phones. And I, we put, put up a few posters, people arrived. It, it was just, to be honest, it was just messing around. There was nothing to it, but it just, um, it, 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 yeah, it's taught me that if you, if you poke the world in certain ways, it reacts and, and people are actually very alive to a bit of creativity, I guess. Interesting. And so one thing to you, so you said that you really kind of year one, you kind of checked out and you really didn't enjoy what you were taking in school. So I'm curious why you stuck with it as opposed to dropping out. That's a great question. Uh, I think the answer is fear really. So I was, I was the kid who kind of like everyone from my school went to university. That's what you happened. That's what we, everyone did. And it was unheard of like for, for me to, it was just, it was just the path which I was on, which society had led me on, was to go to university and get some good grades and stuff. But halfway through, just as I said, like lost complete interest in it. And looking back, I wish I did. I wish I did drop out. I think um, the reason why I didn't was because I was afraid to make a big decision. Really, I was afraid to let people down. Although I wasn't letting them down at all. Really, that's the that's the honest answer. I think. Okay, but so ultimately, what you ended up doing what you've kind of alluded to is that 
despite despite being at university, you still use that time to work on other aspects, whether it be doing this performance art or coding or writing a book, Consumers. <laughs> I want to talk about this book that you wrote. Oh, Where man, did the idea for this come from? Ah, that's amazing. Um, great, great research because that book is not even – I think I've taken it off everywhere these days. So um, how did you find that? Where is it? I honestly can't. I probably was on like page seven of Google searching Harry Dry and your Amazon listing came up. That's that's impressive. Yeah. So that's actually one of my proudest things I did. It's it's honestly, I'm not sure if you skimmed it or whatever, but it um I I really I'm really proud of that book and I've taken it down it from everywhere because I think that once I build up my own social media a bit more my own kind of brand in inverted commas i'm going to try and relaunch that properly because I, I really believe in it it's just that i launched it when i had like i was i was absolutely um i had no real leverage i had no email list no kind of ability to distribute it so i sent loads of emails out actually to people trying to spread the word and the book came from this i, I had this idea me and my brother talked about which is because we didn't well the idea is that um you're essentially a, a product of everything you have, everything you've ever consumed. So every book you've ever read, every conversation you've ever had, everything your dad's ever said to you, every um, every painting you've ever looked at, every every tweet you've ever scrolled past, and and every Netflix show you've ever watched, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Every marathon you've ever run, you know. So you're a product of everything you've you've put into your body, and um, and and um. And I just was hooked on this idea for ages because you kind of see people who consume a, cer a certain type of material, whether it be like, you know, trash TV shows or just kind of um, or bullshit, bullshit on Instagram, etc. And they kind of come up with a certain worldview. And then you can see people who maybe disconnect from a lot of the noise, read a certain type of book, perhaps, or um, put other stuff in their body and, and they come up with another worldview. So. It was a 20 page book just about this this concept and um it was wrote probably about four years ago and i think again i didn't do particularly well at all it didn't it didn't i i, I sent it to loads of people on email and i got a few replies and it got featured in a couple of newsletters and i was really chuffed but um yeah that was the book i mean it was called consumers and i think that though there's something about the you know the first thing you have to you have to there's something about completing things and I think before that, um, other than the performance art stuff, like I tried to write things before, never finished them. I tried to um, start societies before and just never finished them. And I think that even if it sucks, there's seriously there's serious value in just in just finishing something because then you you know where you are, you know that all right that's the level, and I've fallen short, and I can I can try again. If you don't finish anything, you never really get that that feedback or that reality check, I suppose. So. Um, yeah, that's the book. I mean, thanks for bringing it up. Uh, I'm guessing have you just seen it on Amazon, or did you? There's also a website. I'm not sure if you've looked into it much. No, I, I definitely found the website. I really like the way you put it together. There's like that animation when you first land on that page that kind of reveals everything that you've taken from other people, oh, all the other yeah. information you've consumed on that page that makes the book. So I thought it was super interesting, like playing on the fact that ideas are not original. Everything is a remix essentially is the premise behind the book. But I wanted to ask you kind of on that vein, I have a quote written down. I, I can't remember where I found this quote, but it's from yours. It's that ideas are the new currency and free thinkers are the future. I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. <laughs> Tell you what, Matt, you're, yeah, you've got a hell of a lot of stuff. I've forgotten I've said half this stuff. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, ideas of the new currency and free thinkers of the future. <laughs> so I wrote that quote specifically when I started. I've already jumped in a bit forward in the story, but I wrote that quote specifically when I, I started the Kanye site. And I was just, I don't know, I was just, uh, so this was, a, a, I think Jacob mentioned it at the start, a dating site for Kanye fans. And oh, let me think about this again. Ideas are the new currency, free thinkers of the future. I guess if I was talking about it now, I'd probably say that because the um, it's much easier to create anything these days than it ever has been before. So the barrier to entry is considerably lower, perhaps, than, than it ever has been. So that kind of means that ideas are like it's easier to act on ideas. It's easier to get investment these days. It's easier to distribute ideas or you need to Twitter accounts, really. So. Yeah, if you if you have ideas, you're kind of you're kind of cooking with gas. Back in the day, you kind of needed like a TV show, but now you just need a YouTube channel or a podcast. And free thinkers of the future. Let me think about that one again. <laughs> um, what do you think? Have you got any guesses? What what I was on about that day? I was probably smoking something. <laughs> I mean, kind of my interpretation of that in terms of free thinkers of the future. I when I hear free thinkers, I think of people that aren't afraid and to have ideas that might be a little bit out there and the best way to build an audience is to have um, ideas that people might contradict or not disagree mm -hmm. with so by being a free thinker and being out there a little bit not everyone's going to agree with you and by being polarizing like that that's how you build an audience uh, yeah dashi that's that's good and i that's what I, yeah that that's so Kanye is just an obvious example of this but um com conflict generates interest and free thinkers aren't always right, but that but scars signal skill in the game and authenticity. The more kind of scars you pick up along the way, the the more real you are. And I think that's why people like, and they're cliche people in a sense, but Elon Musk and, and Kanye West, there's a bunch of others who don't always get it right, but people can relate purely because they don't always get it right because no one's yeah, no one's really perfect. Um, it's, just, it's a funny quote that. <laughs> And sticking with consumers for a minute, and just more of the idea that we are a product of everything we consume, I've heard somewhere that you learn best by copying other people. I wonder if you could explain this a little bit more because that's something I agree with as well. And my little brother right now is in the beginning stages of learning photography. And my best advice to him was to just copy other photographers and try and imitate their style because by doing that, you're going to learn how to use your camera better and how to different use, use different programs to achieve that style. And through that, you're going to develop your own unique style as you understand the working of all these programs and the camera. So I'm curious as to how you utilize copy being to teach yourself yeah I, I couldn't agree more i think that i think there's i think it's a i think it's foster wallace no who is there's a no it's it could be foster wallace no it's it's hunter s thompson and he he's rewrote out he he would find books like the great gatsby classics by f scott fitzgerald you know and he he rewrote out that whole book by hand just to know what it's like to type out a masterpiece and i think that this is how I learned web design. I would go to a website like Stripe, which is a lovely web design payment web website, or find a website you love and copy it piece by piece in Photoshop or in Sketch or Figma or whatever you're using. If you want to be social media manager, find an account you love and rewrite out their tweets and create the images, try and create the content. Obviously, it's a bit harder if a lot of the content's perhaps interviews or organic or whatnot, but in my opinion, you have to know what it feels like to create that masterpiece, where if you add another word, it's too wordy. And if you take a word away, it's the sentence is all wrong, you know? And um, I think when I learned web design, I had 10 websites. I would just 
uh, crack them open on my Mac, half the screen, and then go to Sketch and just literally block by block design it. And then you sort, then you start realizing, okay, well that line spaced in is is too high, or that font. That's why they've used that font. That's why if you change the font to that, it doesn't work out quite so well. And that's been my whole kind of <laughs> philosophy forever. So with the consumer's book. I started writing about this idea uh, about how, you know, nothing's original essentially. And then, and then I realized as I was going, how much I was copying because of how many great, how many people have wrote about this thing before and who am I really just at that time I was 20, 20 years old, had no real experiences as a writer or anything. Who am I to write anything better than them? So what I ended up doing with the book was just pulling together all their quotes and every quote is highlighted and attributed and the book is, it's essentially a, a, a book about nothing being original comprised from a load of quotes by people talking about this subject. It kind of proves the point of it all. And even now, like, I think um, everything I do is is copied and just slightly tweaked. I look at, I have lists of, of, of marketers who I think are doing great stuff and I'll, I'll find something they do and just tweak it, make it better, make it better. And I think that's exactly how I how I operate, and I'm I'm shameless about it as well. I think that's I'm completely unashamed. Sorry of it. I think that's how everyone works. David Bowie. There's a funny story about David Bowie, and I think I think it was someone from the Beatles, and the, I think it was. And the Beatles, uh, I think it was like let's say Paul McCartney. I can't quite remember. And he said, "Yeah, don't ever say a good song lyric uh, around David Bowie because he'll just take it and tweak it and put it in one of his songs." And every everyone copies. It's a, like um i'm dry. i haven't got too much more to say on it really but I, that's my philosophy it's just every, everything is a remix and if you know all the records in the collection your remix will sound better than everyone else's it's like sampling in, in music you know i've mentioned his name about three times already but Kanye west is a great producer because he's got sort of a library of songs in his head and he knows which one to pull out to make the song great at that time i mean he's music production is just other people's records it's not so that's what sampling is that's where hip-hop kind of came from to a degree um do you feel like that's something you do a lot yourself or do you try and kind of create from from nothing i think copying you're not copying but like t taking information i consume and remixing it putting it out is something i'm trying to get better at i think where i've struggled i, I want to be better at twitter specifically something i'm actively working on and something i struggle with is every time i made a tweet i felt i had to come up with an original brand new thought that i've never found before but i'm slowly learning and putting together that the thoughts i have are just pulling information from different areas and coming up with a thought that way so i'm getting better at pulling all the information I'm consuming and coming up with a thought based off of what I'm consuming in terms of putting it out as a tweet. So I want to say in the past, I wasn't as good at doing that, but it's something I'm working towards getting better at, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that honestly, I think there's nothing new under the sun. Everything said has already been said by someone. We're just saying it a slightly different way on a slightly different medium. I think it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I would say never be ashamed of uh, don't actually copying is the wrong. I think copying is the wrong word. Copying is, I think it was what, what did Picasso say about this? He said, um, I was along the lines of copying, copying. Uh, if you want to get good at something, copy, but if you want to get great at something, steal and ste stealing's stealing's where it's at. Because when you steal something, you take an element of it and then you kind of you steal something else. And then you, it's just stacking Lego bricks on top of, on top of each other. And, um, I don't know. It's a, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a big philosophy of mine really for sure. It's... Mm. 
And when you were talking about it there, you said early on when you were learning web design, you would recreate sites of other sites that you liked. I was curious, kind of even prior to that, what made you decide that you wanted to learn to code and learn web design? Yeah. So when I was at university, I what I had in my head was that I just do not want a job. I want to be able to, I want to be able to create stuff and sustain myself. So I looked at that point. How do I do this? What, what's the fundamentals? If I can create a website, then I've got a sort of shop window to the world. At the time, I was very naive because now I've sort of realized that you don't need to know how to code. There's so many great no-code tools out there and that you can even do some, it's quite easy to design a nice website with no-code stuff. But when I was doing all this stuff, I didn't have that information. So I just went full in and I, I thought, all right, make a great website. Uh, I think learn to code, learn to design, learn to write and learn marketing. And then you've kind of got all elements of the, of uh, the distribution channel you can create something you can build it you can you can uh, and then you can market it um so as well it was just partly boredom like i i didn't have i didn't have i wasn't engaged in my course and i always wanted to keep moving in the, moving forward so I, web coding was the next best thing and that's actually how i got into coding from the book so you know that animation you referenced at the start anyone it's consumersbook.net is the website and i had this animation in my head of how i wanted the quotes to flash in but i couldn't make i tried to do it on mp4 with video and it worked but then i got told by someone that mp4 videos wouldn't run on mobile phone very easily so if someone visited the website on a phone it wouldn't also play and i really wanted to also play so i got into coding actually as a function of trying to trying to trying to make this book and try and put this book online and one thing with the book which my main lesson actually from the consumer's book was that give it all away for free is the best advice there's there's out there right now if you haven't got an audience give it all away for free make the podcast for free write the book for free because otherwise no one's going to check out your shit there's so much stuff these days available and if it's not if you can't reduce the you have to reduce the friction of someone being able to consume whatever you're making so if you're making a, a podcast you know um, clip it, clip parts, put them on Twitter, stuck people in like that. No one, click, no one finds stuff organically. You have to make it dead easy. So the book is available for free online and it just types itself out the first page and then you can just skip between the pages. And that way I got it into the hands of a great designer called um, Paula Scher. And um, only she only emailed me back saying she enjoyed it. But at the time that was like, wow, this designer's read the book and she, she's quite well known. And I was thinking, amazing. And obviously, if I asked her to buy a book, she'd be like, no, who are you? I'm not going to buy a book from you. So when I started the book, I was like, I'm going to sell this thing. And But it doesn't work like that. Like when you're when you're becoming, when you're starting out, and I still am starting out, you have to just value, value, value at all costs. And then, it's, yeah, just give. Um, if, I, if I try to sell it, no one would have bought it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, when I do these podcasts, I'm big on quotes and things people have said, and I want to bring you back to a specific moment in time. And it's when you're sitting at university, you're getting in your last year and everyone's going around talking about what they're going to do. And people are saying they're going to, they're going to get a finance job or they're going to do their masters. And then you say that I'm going to travel to Nazareth, learn to code, come back to England, finish my book, learn about business and start my own stuff. What was the reaction of everyone else in the room when you said that? it's just i remember saying that to this day i remember this guy called ali who i said it to and a few other people around the dinner table and they were just he was just like dry my surname's dry they were just like you always say this stuff like you're not going to do it you're going to be 
you're going to be doing what we're doing. You're going to be stuck in the grind. You're going to be on that tube with us, which I still, I did, to be fair. I got to get the tube a lot in London, but it was just like every, my quote about Durham University is where it's dreams go there to die. So if you have an ambition, you want to be, I don't know, a musician, you want to be something, you just end up conforming. You conform to basically just um a suit a consultancy job and i got it's no problems with those jobs at all they make they make great money and you know lots of lovely people do them but that just wasn't what i wanted to do so my friends were just like reality is gonna gonna grind you down you're gonna be doing what we're doing uh and i think i told i said to him say 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 that to me again and i started recording him i said say that to me again and he said it again, he was like, dry, you're just going to be slogging it out like like, like we all are. You're not special. And I, I don't think I am special, but um, he, I, have it on, I have this on record and then left university. And I always, when I'm play, I play back this video and it's this guy saying that that was what my life was going to be like for the next, you know, forever. And then I, I did what exactly what I said I did. I went, uh, there's a free coding course in Nazareth called Founders for Coders. So that's why I wanted to go to Nazareth. It wasn't just like a random, a random idea that I wanted to convert to, I don't know, a sort of religion in, in Nazareth. Um, so I did this, this coding camp, a free course in Nazareth, and then went back home and I finished Consumer's book. And um, then I lived with my parents for a bit, started the Kanye site. And I don't think I've had wild success yet, but I've stuck to my words. Like I haven't, I'm still trying and I've, I've, I didn't give up. Like I, I didn't conform. That's something I've always got to this day, I guess. I, I, it'd be pretty sad actually if I was, if you read that quote back to me and I was like, damn, I, I did exactly what he'd say. I am, I am doing that job now, which I don't want to do. So that's nice to hear actually mm. that, that line again. <laughs> And considering that Durham is where dreams go to die, looking back on your experience going to school, would you change it? Or do you think that you experiencing that and hating what you took for four years and creating your own, creating your own essential kind of like side learning as a result of it, was it worth the fact that you hated or would you not go if you were given the opportunity to go back and change it? 100% not go. And that's because when I was at school, I was 18 years old and as an 18 year old, I just wasn't formed yet as a human being and by any, any stretch of the imagination. So you ask me what I wanted at 18, I haven't got a clue. I just want to, you know, what does society tell me to do? It's probably just make money, I guess, and, you know, <laughs> make money and try and try and buy a nice house, I suppose, stay out the way of trouble. So everyone, you know, you're shoved in there and, and, um, and yeah, I would never have went to university again if I had my time back. I, I'd have just done exactly what I did. So I did economics, haven't used that degree once. It, it, what I learned in my own time, coding, marketing, um, these art projects, which gave me a bit, I don't know, a bit of boost of courage or whatever, uh, a bit of resilience, a bit a way, a way of contacting press. So we had, we contacted the press a lot from our art stuff to try and get publicity. I've used those skills all the time. I've, I've learned more self-teaching than being taught, I guess, so I wouldn't have gone. Well, did you go to university yourself or, or not? I did two years at a community college, graduated with a diploma and no degree and decided to start working after that. And what's your experience with that? With, with like, school? Yeah. Like, did you rate what you did or did you, you didn't, you didn't go, you know. How I kind of explain it to people. And I've been doing some reflecting on it recently. Cause I often ask people this question on the podcast and I think that school set a good foundation for me, but what I use in my job day to day is a lot of self-taught stuff. So I think school set a good foundation. And if I hadn't gone to school at that time, I don't know what I would have done. I don't think when I was 18, 19, that I was 
I didn't fully understand the world that I'm in now in terms of social media and marketing and even a little bit of personal development. Like I didn't fully grasp it. So I think that school kind of, I kind of figured myself out in school. So I honestly don't have a good answer for you as to whether I would go back and change it or not this time. Right now, my answer is I wouldn't change it just because I don't think I was ready if you'd kind of thrown me into the world when I was 18, if that yeah. makes sense. To, to be fair, actually, you saying that I kind of adapt my answer a bit because I agree with you. I, I don't know what I'd have done because I, I only really learned through a realization that economics graphs and stuff were just not the real world and so far away from the real world that that kind of flipped me from this stuff's bullshit. So let's let's get some hard practical skills under my belt. And if I didn't have that contrast, I, I probably wouldn't have ever went so hard on like the coding, the marketing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the coding, so when you get back from Nazareth, you launch a company called 140canvas.com. I was wondering if you could explain what that business was. Uh, yeah, of course. So um, I I got back, uh, I finished university and my friend, this friend of mine called Giles, uh, he never went, never went to university, bought me a, a couple of canvases, a canvas prints, uh, a tweet from, I'm actually looking at it right now up above me. It's a tweet from Roger Federer. And it says Harry Dry, Harry Dry. Jeez, it's a cringy tweet. I'll tell you that. It's always been you. You are my inspiration. <laughs> Happy birthday, my friend. Let's practice our backhand sometime. Wow, that's a cringy, cringy tweet. So then in the favorites, it's got my brother, it's got Charlotte Booth has favorited it, Novak Djokovic has favorited it. Um, and Ronnie O'Sullivan is a snooker player you probably haven't heard of, favorited it. So I walked back into my bedroom and I saw this canvas up on the wall. And I was like, what, has Roger Federer tweeted me? Because it looks exactly like a real tweet, this thing. And I was like, damn, Federer, I'm a massive Federer fan. So I was, Federer's tweeted me, that's insane. And then I twigged when I saw the favorites. It was like my brother favorited it, that it, um, it was a fake tweet. But I loved the idea of it. I thought it was quite an original gift. And then me and my... I was like, I text Joe, has been like, thanks a lot for the present. Um, this is a, this is really cool. Do you want to try and make these? So we made these. Essentially, you design your own uh, tweets and then you can post it to you post, post it to a friend. So let's say you're a fan of Justin Bieber or, you you know, your little sister's a fan of Justin Bieber. You could get a tweet from Justin Bieber um, to her saying, um, happy birthday, you know, come hang out after the concert, whatever. And came back in the first, so I had these coding skills now from Nazareth. So I made this website where you could design these tweets and then sell them. It sounded like a great idea. We were, we were buzzing, ready to go. And um, I was, again, really naive. So I just felt like we'll make this thing and the canvases will fly off the shelves. We'll be millionaires. It's all that, all that rubbish. And what happened um, evidently was you, we launched it and we hadn't, I'd never launched anything properly before. So it just, nothing happened like you launch something and if you haven't got any kind of distribution or anything nothing a way of getting out to the people nothing happens and i think that yeah it's taught me a lot about marketing that like that people have this naivety that if you build it they will come well that couldn't be further from the truth but one thing we did do which was fairly smart is we we tracked down loads of youtubers um and big YouTubers like Casey Neistat, um, KSI, the British YouTuber, people like that. And we made them custom canvases. Uh, so I think Casey Neistat's a big fan of Spike Lee. So we wrote on his, it was a tweet from Spike Lee to Casey Neistat saying how he likes his channel and all that stuff. Um, and then we posted them because all these YouTubers do this thing called mail time. Uh, mail time is where you can send, you send like fan mail in, they open it on camera and then they react to it. So we sent, uh, it was about about 
12 canvases to big, big YouTubers who do mail time in the hope that they'd open them on camera. And then we branded them with like 140 canvas stickers with our websites, with handwritten letters, kind of explaining that we were just, just came out of uni. This is our first business. Um, and a couple of YouTubers, one YouTuber called Chili Jimenez and another one called Soda Poppin, both uh, opened them on their channels. And I think the Chili videos got about two it's like over two million views now i can't quite remember how many but she was so blown away by this present we sent her um that she she's in the description of the video we're the very first thing like go check out this website 140 canvas and she opens this thing she's like wow this is such a lovely gift in reality i i didn't really know who she was before but i just knew she always did these mail time videos and we could get it to her so um we ended up selling quite a few through well a, a few not quite a, a decent amount through these videos um through, through Chili's and then Soda Poppin opened his. Um, so he shipped out. But what we also we didn't realize was that Chili was in America. So we got loads of American orders and we were based in England and we hadn't really worked out the American distribution. So it was all a complete, like, it was all a complete car crash. Um, but again, a really good learning, learning experience. And then I think when we realized how much it was costing to make the canvases in, in America and we were barely making any money on them and it took time to design them, I think we did another few YouTubers for like a second round because it went quite well, but um, it was a business which sounded great in our heads. The lesson I, from that was probably validation. So if you just if you just plunge in, spend three months coding a, a site or a project or whatever, fancy logos, um, you know, lovely websites, all of that stuff, it's, it's never a good idea. You sort of want to you want to launch if if you if you build this big you know rocket hoping to launch it. It's, it's not it's not good it's not going to work you want to just launch quickly and painlessly and then um and then adapt as you go and and that's something i learned i never never again will i spend you know a quarter of a year coding away only for a handful of people to ever use a website you, you can validate before that even just from a simple social media page perhaps you can try and you can run out how i'd have done that one now actually was i'd have made an ad on on, on twitter or instagram uh, it would have been a picture of a canvas, like a really nice one, because you could print one really cheaply. So I printed one, done, a, done like a nice photo shoot, I guess. Um, it'd been captured, it'd been like, get, get you know, uh, buy, turn turn cam, turn canvas prints, in, sorry, turn tweets into canvas prints for, for Christmas, just before Christmas, blah, 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 link to a website. And then um, on the website, this I wouldn't have had to code it. They could have had, I could have assessed, I guess, how many people were, what 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 the cost per click was on the ad i suppose so instead of that three months building out a website i could have just i could have just i could just run an ad really and then in a week i guess i'd have figured out okay well people are people love this ad loads of people are clicking or people don't understand what this product is which was the reality of it so um, validation was the the key there and another quote that i have here written down is validation isn't supposed to be scalable why not Ooh. Uh, validation is not supposed to be scalable. <laughs> Why not? Let me think. Um, do you remember what I said after that? Because I was just a big smart after that. I just can't remember what it was. <laughs> Let me I think. honestly can't. I just have that one quote written down. I don't have what you said after, unfortunately. Give me a second. I remember why I said that. Valley, okay, I was doing a talk. I said that exact line. I went, validation Potentially is there, There's no point automating if you don't know if there's demand for it. Damn, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not on it today. That's exactly it. Like, it's not supposed to be scalable. It doesn't have to be scalable because, because it, you don't have to scale it when there's no orders coming in. Like for 140 canvas, if we suddenly got 
50,000 orders, we could have been like, okay, now Giles, you're not going to be doing Photoshop anymore on the canvases. We'll outsource this to X, Y, and Z, and we'll automate it so that they print automatically or we set up our own print thing. I don't know, but you don't have to cross those bridges because they'll probably never come um, manually is the best is the best thing. We could have went into a school with, with that canvas and showed it to kids and been like, do you like this product? Yes, yes or no. Do you want to buy some? Yes or no. And then you, you've got your first orders like that. Okay. And so I want to talk about the next idea you had as well. So it was ultimately you were building websites for new and aspiring musicians and you did exactly what you're talking about now. You validated the idea for about a week. You realized that that wasn't the best idea and you ultimately didn't didn't pursue that for long making websites for musicians. And I want to ask why that was, why was that your second idea? Was building websites for musicians something you were passionate about or what led to you starting that idea in the first place? This is a really, it's a really interesting podcast. It's like a trip down memory lane because I can barely remember some of these days, but the websites for musicians was, uh, yeah, this was a, I finished the canvases and it's funny because I, I did all this stuff at my parents' house. So then subsequently I've moved out, but because I've come back because of the lockdown, I'm, I was in the very room actually where I was trying to do this idea now. Um, and I, I, my idea there was, there was, there wasn't much passion for it. No, it was more just make pottery was the mantra. So what I mean by make pottery is that the more pieces of pottery you make, the, 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 the better you you become as a potter or someone who makes pottery and that piece of pottery was pretty shit as well but it just gave me more information and like I'm, i wasn't afraid of running through ideas i think that if you are listening to this and you haven't set up tried to set up startups before or tried to build social media channels before or whatnot like the first things you do are not going to be good but you have to just go through the cycles anyway really and websites for musicians was um it came into my head. My goal with that was I want to validate this idea within a week. So I made, I think it was made 20 websites. They were all templates of the same website. I found musicians on a Reddit forum called Reddit um, new, new Musicians, I think. And they didn't have websites. So I then sent them websites, which I'd made to them. They were all free because the hosting package I had was free. There's a way of hosting them for free at that point. Um, and then I said, look, if you want to buy this, I'll set you up as a domain name. It's £10 a month. Um, let me know. And I think I had two bytes out of 40 websites. And I think I said to myself, I need about six people to go for this, to kick it into a real business. So two out of 40 um, musicians, they, they came up with loads of excuses. They were like, I don't have enough money. I'm not, I'm not actually that into my music anymore. I've, my friend said he'll make me a website. I don't like the design of the website. So after a week, I thought enough's enough and um, moved on to the next thing. <laughs> My my question with that is, do you think that part of the reason that the the first two businesses, granted, I know you were new, but do you think part of the reason that you didn't pursue them and they didn't become your thing was because it wasn't something you were extremely passionate about? Like you weren't necessarily passionate about making websites for musicians, but what we're getting to is with the Kanye West dating site is you were a fan of Kanye West. So you were more passionate about that idea and then eventually marketing examples than you were 140 Canvas or these websites for musicians. Yeah, yeah that's a really good point. I think that you probably know me better than I know me on this show, like 100%. That's actually exactly it. I didn't mention that. But um, honestly, if I was making websites for musicians now, I'd be bored out of my mind. It wasn't meant to be. True. And then so we're even though like you so this was your second idea your third idea was easy dating and i have another quote down here is that you've got to think like a little kid who still has uh, imagination you have to think yeah. like art simpson 
How do you get yourself in that frame of mind to think like a kid who has untapped imagination to come up with an idea like Yeezy Dating? It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating quote. And I actually think about this, two things. So firstly, um, firstly, the first thing we talked about was adapting ideas. So when I came up with the Yeezy Dating idea, I was lying in bed and um, I saw this website called Trump Dating. It was taken over Twitter at that point, and it was it it was just it was just a, a news story for a day, twenty four hours done ne- next. But it was uh, dating site for Donald Trump fans, and I felt like this is genius because you get you get that free press, you get loads of backlinks from an SEO perspective. You probably can can leverage that and get some Instagram social media followers because um, because your website's all over all over you know Twitter that day, um, all just from a name, just from Trump, and what I said at the start of the show, I guess, I guess was that I was good at taking ideas and adapting them. So I thought Trump's Trump works, but who else could we, you do this with? Like who else has got a cult following? I was thinking Harry Potter perhaps, or Brexit was a big thing at the time in the UK. And then I didn't really care that much about those things. So I said, Kanye, I'm a big Kanye fan. He's got that kind of Donald Trump vibe about him weirdly. <laughs> where he, um, Kanye. Yeah. What about easy dating? Boom. Easy dating. And the second point here is that I think that ambition weirdly kills more I, kills more ideas than anything else. So there's one thing um, to, to, to believe. I'm trying to phrase this right, but like most people, minds wouldn't go there because they didn't have the ambition or the drive to pull it off in the first place. So I think that ambi- I, imagination is, is really heavily, sorry, I think that ambition is heavily linked or self-belief is heavily linked with um, with creativity because you have to believe that you can do it to even come up with the idea in the first place so if i i was very alive to the possibility at this point that you know if i made something it could have a little impact somewhere in the world and and i wasn't afraid and that's why that i i tried the um that's, that's why my mind went to easy dating and the next thing i did was i jumped out of bed and bought the domain name straight away and started working on it and at that point, when you jump out of bed, buy the domain name, start working on this website, what is your end goal at that time? Or do you even have one? Like, what do you envision ends up happening as a result of you building Yeezy Dating? That's a good question. Again, I think the story of of the theme throughout all these projects is that I had no idea what I was doing at any point. I was making it up as I go along at every stage of the game. And even throughout the lows, I was making it up. And when things went well, I still was clueless. I made, I, I bought it on a whim. And um, the idea was, actually, the idea was I want to validate this idea because I do not, I can't afford to spend six months building a dating site for Kanye West fans when the chances are I haven't, just me, hasn't got the network to distribute it in, in any meaningful way. Um, so my original thought was, okay, I got this domain name. How do I validate user dating? So you said how you validate that. You validated it through an Instagram name and then, or an Instagram account, sorry, that you linked to a landing page and then you started collecting emails for ultimately when you would eventually launch the site. Absolutely. So I think something which the Canvas site taught me was that you can validate stuff far easier than you think. So what's the simplest way of validating a dating site for Kanye West fans? Well, Kanye West has got a huge, huge subreddit community. So just post post it there, have a quick um, landing page, nothing special with an email box to collect interest and then I uh, think an Instagram page to, to build followers. 
and see what the response is. And within 24 hours, it was the top of the easy subreddit, um, like over a thousand likes. I can't quite remember how many. And I felt like that's good, but realistically, dating sites need a hell of a lot more than that. So then my next step of validation was I'm going to start emailing this to journalists. So I went, I used this tool called Buzzstream Discovery, which, and you type in Kanye West into this, and it spits back like hundreds and hundreds of journalists. So it's a free tool, Buzzstream Discovery, who who write stories about Kanye West. And then I, you can find their email addresses often from Twitter or often from a program called Hunter, where you just tap in, you just tap in their name and it spits back the email which um which that company uses so i had this big excel sheet with hundreds of journalists in and um i just emailed them i think it was something like um just made a i've seen this site for kanye west fans going going huge on reddit right now uh thought you might want to check it out it was a very unprofessional just one line really two line email they're very busy just with a link to the site i think maybe a link to the reddit post that's the kind of social proof that went to work the next i went to work the next day uh i was doing at this point i needed to make some money so i was doing the work which i didn't really want to do for two or three days a week it was kind of finance related um so i got the train to london from my parents house it's about an hour trip and got in for this meeting and my phone um my phone rang and i just turned it off then my phone rang again i just turned it off again i think i just turned my phone off at this point so i get out the meeting i check the um the email database and it has it's like it's thousands and thousands of names in it and i was thinking what like has there been a glitch what's happened here i google kanye west's name and um there's just like hundreds of well probably genuinely hundreds of stories there's a dating site for kanye west fans and as soon as one publication broke the story it just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled and got loads of momentum and i was as I was reading the articles, I was like, damn, that person was on my email list. I emailed them yesterday they, and checked my inbox and it was flooded with requests. But I was working for this payments company. So I had to go back in the next day and the next day and I couldn't, it was quite hard to quit this thing because they'd given me like a chance, I guess. And I wasn't that qualified for payments anyway. Um, so I felt bad about leaving, but then I was getting the training and BBC radio is pretty big in England. It's like the big radio station, which everyone listens to. And they wanted to bring me on for an interview. Like, have anyone know the founder of this Yeezy dating site for this? Uh, we want to talk to him on live on air. And my friend texts me like, yeah, go on, call in BBC Radio now. They want to talk to you. And I tried to call in, but there was no reception on the train because the train from where my, where my parents live to uh, to London, it goes through a lot, a lot of countryside. So I couldn't get through the call. And I was like, I'm just blowing my chance here with this stupid job, which I'm doing. So I got back home that night and I called my boss and said to him, Look, like, thank you for the chance to work here. But I have just currently I'm making a dating site for Kanye West fans, and it's taken off, and I have to take some time out. And fair play to him, he just said like, good luck, and that was that. I I I I I didn't come back. Um, so, I mean, I'm trying to remember where we are here, but it was it was like every day there was more stuff. It was just I think some people had the idea that Kanye had set up this site which was never the case obviously at all, but that added fuel to the fire because I never really explicitly made it clear. I think I, actually, I, think I did on Instagram, but um, uh, yeah, so uh, then I had this problem that, all right, so I've got, at this point, I was probably, I think it was over 10,000, 14,000 names in this, uh, this email list of people who wanted to sign up for the, when, when the site was built. But the thing was, is I couldn't, I had learned to code, but building a dating site was a proper thing. Like I couldn't, 
I wasn't really at that level. So for about a month and a half, I just locked myself in the bedroom and tried to just build a site from scratch, build a dating site. And it was very tough, but I just about managed it. I was getting ready to launch the site and did a post on Instagram being everyone ready. Like it's going to launch in a couple of hours time, get pumped, whatnot. And, uh, had, uh, I think I had this little telegram chat. I'm not sure if you know what telegram is. It's like WhatsApp, I guess. Um, I had this, this group chat of people who were pumped for the site to launch and somehow they found it, that it had kind of come out on, on the domain a bit before it's, it's complicated, but they'd found the site. They started making accounts. Then I sent it around on Instagram, use dating's launched. And it's good. I was like, Oh my God, I've done it. I've built a dating site for Kanye West fans. This is it's incredible. People are real people are using it. I've just got a match from, from someone incredible it's talking about our favorite Kanye albums on my own site and then suddenly um pictures just boom one by one all the pictures on this dating site start disappearing and just evaporating before my eyes every every picture and I built a site which couldn't save images properly so there was honestly I think it was about 2,000 at this point after the first hour had signed up and um no images and the server then crashed and I just pulled, pulled it out. And I, then I messaged, I, I went on some forums the next day. I was like, okay, how do you save images properly on a website? <laughs> how do you save multiple images? And fortunately for me, the story was quite captivating. The fact that this guy had built this Kanye site and it had a bit of attention, but the images weren't working. So I had loads, loads of developers help me out with it. And then a couple of days later, we relaunched it and it was going well. The site was site was kicking on it was had at that point it was great i just kind of realized that uh, at this point i was i didn't know much about marketing so in hindsight i'd have done like all right let's start a podcast about about this like about bound to fall in love i don't know some something like that about a podcast related to bring more people in or let's um let's run ads even or let's figure it let's let's try and monetize it i didn't really have that knowledge so i just realized that slowly but surely all this viral attention i was getting was dying down and um i was trying to i was trying to code the site and fix all the bugs i was trying to um trying to do any kind of marketing i was trying to respond to all the email support and people were talking about privacy all of that stuff it was just a lot for one person to do so i felt like there's only one way out of the, the hat really. And that was to try and try and bring Kanye West on board. I felt like, you know, if Kanye gets behind it, then I could use a bit of his infrastructure. And obviously the site would, would expand massively if he kind of helped market it, obviously. So that was my next challenge. How do I, how do I bring Kanye on? So at that point, sorry, I'm sorry not to cut you off yeah, there, go ahead, go but ahead. at that point there, when thing two things based off everything you just said one i think the fact that you at that time didn't know much about marketing allowed you to take it to the next step which is what we're going to talk about here in a second was because if you had that marketing experience you would have gone and tried to think about it more so and running ads and everything like you said versus then you didn't think of that stuff you almost thought outside of the box of whatever a regular marketer would have thought to do next which i think is part of the reasons to why it blew up again for a second time and my second kind of thing from that is why at that point when signups are slowing down and it's not quite going as well as you hoped it would, not, not going well, but signups are slowing down. You realize you didn't have the infrastructure in place to do this long-term. Why at that point don't you just shut it down? This was a good experiment. It worked. I got media attention and then on to the next thing. Why did you stick with it at that point? Great, great point. So for, on your first point, I never thought of that before, but you're so right. This is the beauty of my 
this Yeezy story is the fact that I was clueless and being clueless has massive, massive benefits. And what, what you're going to hear about how I try to get in contact with Kanye, I, no one would have done that if they were a marketer. They would have been, they would have went the, the traditional route. Um, and then secondly, I just think that there's a line from, my philosophy has always been do what scares you more. Or Joe Rogan says um, something along the lines of live like the superhero in your own movie. And, you know, it's not a great superhero story just to say, all right, shut the site down when silence is slowing down. I get, I don't know. I think that it's always, it's always you create your own luck. And it really, what my idea, so for a face of this, I had the idea that how do I get in contact with Kanye West? I tried to go on LinkedIn. I tried to uh, email his PR team, all of that, didn't get anywhere. Um, and as I said, I'm going to take out billboards around the world. Kanye just tweeted that he was uh, setting up offices in Wyoming, Calabasas, New York, and London. So I thought four billboards in those four locations saying, phone me, Kanye West. I've got ideas followed by my phone number. And, um, that I had this idea for, and my, I had two barriers to it. Firstly was financial. I didn't have much money. So I was thinking how much do these billboards cost? And the second barrier was that it really scared me. Like I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to be the person who took out the billboards and whatever. And, you know, it was a really odd thing for someone to do. And then the more I thought about the second thing, I was like, this isn't real because I'm a, I, I, this is irrational. I'm just afraid of what people might think about me. And that's a, that's just, that's a bullshit fear. Like when you're, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason when you're, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking, oh, I wish, you know, that person. It's a lot of rubbish. You want to try and live live freely from people's perception of you. Uh, so I thought to myself, if this is within limits financially, I'm going to make this happen. So I called up billboard companies and got some quotes. And it's amazing how cheap billboards are. And it's, it's something which blew my mind. It was for one in Times Square for 24 hours. It was, actually, I got the exact price. I'm going to try and... It was uh, £700, so less than, wait, like like $1,000 probably for t for New York Times Square for 24 hours. It's, I thought, wow, it's a, it's a crazy price. <laughs> I can't not do it. So in total, I dropped Calabasas because we couldn't get the right billboard. But in total, it was like about £2,000 I spent on the billboards for London, New York, and Wyoming. And I, I got them all lined up, ready to go, had loads of press lined up for, for this thing. Um, phone me Kanye West I've got ideas and then my phone number and um, I got a message from the billboard company in America saying we can't do this it was about genuinely about 40 minutes before it was supposed to go live so I had a problem that I couldn't photo I couldn't take photos of these billboards because I wasn't in any of the locations which I was taking them out in so I, I had a I messaged I did like a little message to everyone who on the easy dating being like hey I'm taking out these billboards trying to take the site to the next level if you if you happen to be in Wyoming right now would love for you to come down to this spot and take a photograph. Unfortunately, people did. Uh, people were waiting outside Times Square, ready to go, and people were waiting in Wyoming. And um, and they got a message me saying, "Look, this violates Kanye West's um, privacy. You can't have his name in these ads." So I was thinking, "Oh, damn, like damn, I'd already spent the money on the London one, so I was kind of strapped in." And then, fortunately, my my dad was living at home at this point. So my dad was brainstorming and he said, Mr. Like, try Mr. West because that hasn't got Kanye's name in and it will still work. Like people get the gist. So we did phone me, Mr. West, they agreed it. And then 10 minutes to go, um, 
this lady Candice was in Times <laughs> Square. I, I messaged her saying it's on. She took the photograph, sent it into my inbox. The Wyoming one came through. The London photograph came in, and I had the story there. This, you know, this guy got this dating site trying to contact Kanye to bring him on board. It's a good story. It really, it really is. But that, well, got a little bit unlucky here. So I'd been lucky so much on this tale, like going viral in the first place and whatever. But the first time in the story, I got unlucky because. I just sent these emails to these journalists. I just got replies being like, this is great. Let's do an interview. Um, here's some questions to answer. We'll publish it tomorrow in Heisenabiety or whatever it is. And then Kanye went on to um, TMZ. The same, honestly, about two hours apart from my billboards going live. And he said, I'm not sure some people listening will remember the quote, but he said, slavery sounds like a choice, which got interpreted as slavery is a choice. And then it kind of, Kanye's a, a Trump supporter, Kanye's wearing a MAGA hat, all of that stuff, which obviously blow, blew up a lot. So my little story about about these billboards and trying to contact Kanye for dating site was just blown out of the water. And he had a lot on his plate on that, at that time. Um yeah, the story rumbles on, but I'm not sure if you want to, you, if you've got any thoughts or want to jump in. So. Yeah. So the one, one thing I have, I, again, another quote, of course, but so when you're talking about there where you're on the phone with Lamar, who's the, the company, I believe that did the billboards in the United States, you wrote the, the quote that you, once they found out, once you found out that they wouldn't do the billboards, you wrote down in the Kanye story, the website that details this whole story in depth is I'm calling this whole thing off. The game's up. It's over. And then the part that really stood out to me with this quote is the next part, as you said, I'm safe again, life's comfortable, no billboards, no problem. Can you explain that quote? Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So I do know this quote very well. All right. That's how it felt when Lamar said that the billboards are off. It was like, thank God. I don't have to do this anymore because the, what people kind of forget is that when you try, I don't want to make it out like this was particularly courageous or whatever, but in my little world, my little fools of South, South England, this thing was for me a, a big deal. Like I was trying to do this thing. I was putting myself out there and it was, it was a bit nerve wracking. Like I didn't taking out these billboards around the world trying to become like a big story. Um, and when it got called off, I was like, part of, half of my mind was like that. It was like, no billboards, no problems. Great. I don't have to do this anymore. I've been saved. And then my dad was the other half of my mind being like, no, Harry, you're not going to just quit this thing. We're going to figure it out and we're going to do it still. And I'm so glad he did say that to me because that's that's what I wanted to do deep down. But it's just that everyone's mind is just looking for an excuse to take the easy way out all the time. So the easy route was provided to me there. You know, Lamar says it's off. Fine, Lamar. I'm not going to challenge you. We ended up having to, I made it sound a bit easy when I said they changed the name, but we ended up talking to the CEO of Lamar about, about this thing because we, they said like, we can't change it. We can't change it. We, we went back and forth for about 40 minutes, just arguing with them about, about, about this. My dad was pretending to be a, a journalist being outside Times Square like, from the BBC saying, like, we've wait, we're waiting for this billboard. We've got a camera crew out here. It's all a load of rubbish, but um, they ended up caving in and, and putting the billboards up. So yeah, that's the quote. I think people, these things are, these things aren't easy to do. It's kind of feel the fear and try and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I, what happens next, I think is interesting because you put all this effort and spend all this money on these billboards to try and get Kanye's attention. And then ultimately what ends up happening for you for the breakthrough in this whole story is it wasn't the billboards in the end. It was literally just you picking up the phone and calling all the businesses around, around the Yeezy office 
and getting connected that way, right? I think it's interesting that you put in all this effort to try and get Kanye's attention when all you need to do is pick up the phone. It's a, that's a really yeah, fascinating lesson I learned. So the billboards went up and um, and I, I had some good press, but like nothing crazy because of the Kanye kind of hijacked it all. And um, a week, a couple of days passed and I was like, all right, we've tried, we're gonna try again. So we started calling up companies where Yeezy was located. Um, you couldn't get, we found Yeezy on Google Maps, but you couldn't get any companies. You couldn't get a mobile phone for them. So we called companies nearby and said, by any chance, do you know Yeezy, the office next door? And yeah, they were like, yeah, we, we know a few people there and phone gets put down on you and put down on you. But then this one lady said, oh, yeah, my best friend works there. She's the assistant to the to the CFO. Uh, so I said, do you mind forwarding it on an email? And she um, she did. She sent on our email, like, this is the dating site. This was the idea to get in contact with Kanye. And I think the lesson was that people try all this fancy stuff um <laughs> reality is that the simplest route is the most direct option um really that was the <laughs> kind of as you as you said so i mean a few days go by and then this email drops in my inbox from ashley who's the assistant to this cfo and she says cfo would love to have a chat about you about i'd love to talk to you about about the uh, about the about these dating and and like, what, what, what are you, what's your, what are your thoughts with it? Where do you want to take it? I remember I was 24th of May was the date. I spoke to this guy, a really lovely guy, gave me a lot of time on the phone. Um, he was, he heard everything I had to say. And then he said, yeah, like send, send, he said, send me over some stuff on email, like a follow up on email and I'll get back to you. So I sent him some stuff and nothing enough no reply and then ashley messaged me saying really busy right now we'll, we'll get back to you and then i heard that he he'd lost his job um unfortunately um and then i think ashley messaged me saying she would also lost their job because i had a personal email at this point for some some reason um so i kind of lost my my connections at, at easy and it nearly kicked back off because somehow I think it was circulating around the Kanye's group chat. So the office group chat are easy. So they'd all found this site themselves. And I think I'm I'm reading the exact messages here. I never really, I got sent these by Ashley. So someone wrote, should I send to Kendall Jenner, direct it to Kendall, um, BCC and Chris Jenner. Um, We should do a mixer with people at the office, ask Kanye for approval. (laughs) And uh, I was, you know, bullish again that it might kick back in, but it, it never did. And the site, I went on a, an awesome date from the site, but other than that, it kind of slowly but surely fizzled out. Unfortunately, it's not the most, it's not the happiest of endings, but it was, a like a really, um, yeah, it was a really fun thing to try and do. And I learned a hell of a lot. And so after it was over, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you kind of, you tried to do a similar thing, but broaden the net a little bit. And you made a dating app called bound Two, which was a dating app for all hip hop fans, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know you know everything um absolutely so i made a dance like called bound to app called bound to um at this point basically a company had contacted me saying we love we like easy dating um and we want to do um and we want to we want to do an app for it because i wasn't good at i could barely make a website i couldn't make an app so we made this app called it bound to for hip-hop fans and yeah, I mean it. It did. It did all right, but nowhere near. It didn't do as well as Easy Dating, and I think there's. Yeah, the project didn't go great, but but we it got some downloads. It was good fun while it lasted. Again, 
I think the ship had kind of sailed and in reality I should have probably said no to them because I helped build the app in the end and learned a bit about that kind of stuff but it just it didn't have the same ring it didn't have the same kind of shazam I suppose and I don't know um yeah that was probably a real low actually of the, of the whole everything I've done that app because I'd lost I was doing it with it was it was very lucky for them to give me the opportunity in a sense but I was just exhausted from the dating site and building another app it, I was I was working incredibly hard on this thing because they said you've only got a couple of months to do it whilst they paid me essentially to try and do it and it, it didn't go too well put it that way <laughs> I haven't got too much fun stuff to say about that but it's not all sunshine and roses no, that's fair. I think my takeaway from that too is that niches niches are important. And I feel like a lot of people when they're starting something, they don't want to niche themselves down because they're worried they won't be able to build a very big audience. But then by casting a wide net, they don't build a big audience anyway. So they're worried that this niche will keep them small. But in reality, it's that by trying to cast a wide net is actually what keeps them small. You know what I mean? Yeah. One other question I had too was kind of my, my final question about the, the easy dating experience for you is you got a ton of, not you specifically, but just the site itself and the person behind it being you got a lot of hate for this. I was curious as to how you handled all of that. Um, so I got a lot of hate for, I'm actually, maybe I, maybe I just, maybe it bounced off me. I genuinely am not sure I got hate for these days. <laughs> um, I probably did. Actually, no, maybe Reddit that you talking about. I got probably a lot of hate on Reddit um, or maybe... Actually, no, I did. Actually, yeah, I, shit, no, I know what you're talking about now. I, yeah, I did get loads of hate for it. You're right. So basically, um, yeah, when I took out the billboards, this is how – This is. I'm actually quite proud of myself that I was unaware of this hate. That kind of showed that it, it did genuinely didn't hit me at all, but I did. So I took out the billboards, and 50% of the news article was about me, which is this kid's an idiot. Like, he's a complete moron. A radio show called me for the sole purpose of just – calling me out as a, as a moron that was their kind of goal several several radio shows called me i had people pick up the because i had my phone number up on um these billboards so people would call the phone number and just be like what are you doing like this is sad and you know maybe they're right but um yeah so loads of people loads of people wrote wrote just the fact that there were some really funny comments i think one someone said this guy sucks kanye harder than kim which was <laughs> a personal favorite um there's loads just called to be like uh, where's he got the money from? The reality was I earned the money myself. It was nothing like that. But I got, yeah, I got hate. Didn't affect me at all because people are going to talk shit all day long about you. And um, I was far, I'm far too busy trying to do stuff. And great, like maybe in 50 years time, I'll look back and be like, what was I doing? But it doesn't matter at all. And I think you don't want to get slowed down by negativity. It's, 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 it hardens you up. Getting that, getting those messages then was brilliant because it means that if someone messages me now, it sends me an email saying I'm an idiot or they don't like what I do. Great. It's good. It's my response to that. Fine. It's, you don't want to get slowed down by this stuff. It's, um, I, I'm, I'm rambling a bit here, but I feel kind of strongly that there's always going to be out, people out there. And the, the, the more good stuff you do, the more people are going to talk rubbish about you. If you haven't got people talking rubbish, you're probably not doing you're, you're probably not i don't know you're probably just being everyone's cup of tea and everyone's cup of tea is isn't going to make too much difference 
in the world. Mm-hmm. No, it's back to the thing we talked about a little while earlier, where if you have to be a bit polarizing for people to both love you and hate you at the same time, and that's ultimately how you build an audience. But I want to transition from here over to your current venture. I want to talk about marketing examples, which I said in the intro is a website and an email newsletter where you share quick and easy to digest marketing case studies for people from the best marketing from around the world. And I want to know where the idea for this came from. Wow. So marketing is on foods. I think it's a whole different thing. So when I was, I'd made three businesses. So the canvases, websites, musicians, the book and the Kanye thing, and like none of them had made me any money really. I'd lost money every single time. And at this point it was like, let's get in the real world, Harry. Uh, unfortunately you have to, and you have to make money to, to not have to work for a, a company. Like that's the fundamental reality is that you have to, you can't just be like a, a thinker. That's bullshit. You have to actually you have to actually create value and get paid for it. So the idea for marketing examples was like, uh, how do I create something? My my my, cons- my, my objective was monet- like make money quickly somehow. And um, I'd seen similar sites sprout up, which build an audience with good content and then get sponsored. So I, I could code. So I started writing these articles um, for marketing examples and actually, I'm jumping a little bit ahead of your question. I think the, the where the idea came from was um, it, the it, marketing zone was is essentially like Dribble, if anyone's aware of Dribble, but for marketers. So it's a, where somewhere you can go and just browse through a bunch of real world marketing examples from companies, and then you, you pick out ones which might work well for your company. And no one had really done that before. It wasn't anywhere online. I'd never seen it. And I felt like... I could code, I could design, I could write, and I was getting really in- interested in marketing. It just fit the boxes, it ticked the boxes really. Actually, finally on this, I think people think too much about great ideas, but what they don't think enough about is the, the best, the great idea for them. There's no such thing, you know, what's a great idea? It's um, Uber's a great idea, but it's only a great idea if you've got access to VC money, if you live in a big city, and if you can make an awesome app. Like, you know, if, if my friend comes up with an idea like Uber, it's like, great, you haven't, it's not a great idea for you. So marketers almost just fit my, fit my kind of objectives, I guess. Like I, yeah. Yeah. And so how did you build momentum with marketing examples? Cause I have some numbers here. I think in, you grew the email list to over 10,000 subscribers in the first eight months. You're over 13,000 subscribers now, but it doesn't have that, that, what the fuck factor, you know, that con the easy dating had where people are like, what is this? So like, how did you build momentum for this site? Yeah. It's again, it, interesting. So it's, it's just step-by-step. Step. There was no secret formula. Actually, the first thing I guess was that I wrote an article about a website called nomad list. One of the first articles I did about their, their SEO strategy, search engine optimization strategy. And the founder of nomad list shared it on his own Twitter page. And he had quite a good, he has a big following. So that gave my account, my Twitter account, good marketing HQ or marketing examples, a bunch of followers. And that gave the email list a little head start. And in terms of build momentum, it's literally the priority with marketing examples is just write great content and then share it everywhere. So something which I would do is I'd write the article, but if you spend a week on an article, you don't just want to put it out as a link on Twitter. You know, no one really clicks links on Twitter. You have to give them value, give value on the platform which they're on. So then on Twitter, I would share the article um, as a thread, like piece by piece, breaking down the marketing strategy. And the idea would is that it's so kind of to the point and it's so dense in, in, in content that it works on Twitter. 
if you try and share like a 2000 word blog post on Twitter as a thread, you know, it's not going to get anywhere, but it's, it's the fact of the, the sort of density of the articles work on that platform. And then I'd go to Reddit, I'd go to Facebook, um, and I'd find little watering holes is what I like to call them, where the marketing elephants <laughs> go to drink. And I would just become king of these watering holes. So I would answer all their questions. I would help with marketing and then I'd share my articles. And again, I'm not just spamming links everywhere. That doesn't work. Like I'm trying to break, I'm trying to break down the, the example, the marketing example for that particular platform. So on Reddit, I'll often share the article in full and then try and like get a discussion going because discussions and comments are like a really big deal on Reddit on Facebook. People haven't really got the ability to read a long article, but simultaneously, if you just if you just um, drop a link in, people just know that's like link spam. It's quite hard to sell a link. So I'll often try and pull out like the best diagram, I guess, or the best illustration. The examples are very visual. There's often like a diagram I've worked quite hard on. I'll drop that in and, and add some bullet points and try and like boil down the example. And then that's what, yeah, that's what I'll use on Facebook. Um, on on Twitter, there's the threads. On, on LinkedIn, it's a similar strategy to Facebook. And then there's, there's also Slack groups where I have a watering hole, I suppose, where marketers hang out. And um, it's just about sharing in all these different places. And slowly but surely, it is spread. Uh, Product Hunt was a huge deal. So before Product Hunt, I had about a 1,000 subscribers. And they'd all come from... You know, they, they all come from from word of mouth, really, one by one. There, there's no There was no secret formula. It was literally just... 50 uh, 20 came from me answering questions on this forum 10 came from this slack group which i'd been helpful in so i had a thousand and then um product hunt uh, which is a website where you can launch products it went quite well on there then i had three thousand and that kind of gave me a bit of momentum and then it's very much just consistency and and quality like i never took my eye off the ball i think a lot of people try and do too much sometimes where they like, all right, I've got some momentum now. Let's 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 build a jobs board. Let's set up a YouTube channel. Let's um, start an Instagram page. Let's do Twitter. Let's do all these different platforms. And you kind of end up just diluting your brand a bit too much. I think. I think um, constraints are actually really healthy for a for a brand. Um, and why why do you think constraints are beneficial? Because if if you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. That's my answer to that. So it, let's say like. Trying to think of an example of this. Actually, I wrote an article about a company called No Name, and they they have yellow branded. Actually, you'd know them. You're from Canada, right? Yeah. Have you heard? Of, you must know No Name. Yeah. No, my girlfriend's yeah. a big. Yeah, dude, my girlfriend's a big fan of their Twitter account. Yeah, man, I wrote about their Twitter account actually on marketing examples. Let me just find the refresh my memory. But there, let me see what I got here. Uh, no nonsense, no frills, supermarket brand in Canada. Um, yellow lowercase Helvetica over a yellow background. The website says website. The Twitter page says Twitter page. Um, the sole ad campaign of the, the last decade saw them matter-of-factly label Toronto's tube stations. So they're sort of an anti-brand approach, um, but it's built up a cult following because it's so kind of, you know, to the point, I guess, um, and, and deadpan humor. And, you know, if no name, no name Twitter account is very much like a character in its own right, and if they broke character and tried to like, I don't know, try to be everything, try to sell lots of, try, try to do lots of different stuff, they'd do nothing. But instead, they just, each tweet is six, is all lowercase, probably six words, just explaining the product. And um, 
limitation. That's it. Limitation is the essence of Brandon. Their focus is singular. They don't pretend to be lots of different things. They stand for something very simple and narrow, the rejection of, you know, superficial brands. That yeah, that's why I think you've got to um as as a whatever you're doing, you, you wanna you wanna limit yourself. It's kinda of like what you're talking about with niches. If you stand for everything, you also stand for nothing. If you try and capture everyone, if if you try and capture the whole market, you end up you cast it out for every fish, you'll catch no fishes. Mm-hmm. One other thing too, I was curious about is Reddit specifically. Like what are some tips you have for Reddit, especially for someone that's new to Reddit, because it's a platform, like it's more of a personal question than one for my audience. Cause Reddit's something I've kind of not really dove into, but after reading and doing a lot of research actually to prepare for this podcast, it made me realize that, wow, I should probably take Reddit more seriously than I have. So like, what are some of your tips specifically for Reddit? Yeah, so I Reddit is I got lots of blind spots when it comes to platforms, but Reddit has been huge for me. Like I have specifically um I'm kind of in entrepreneur marketing space. So there's a for a subreddit called um Reddit Entrepreneur and the key on Reddit is 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 they're very hot on self-promotion. So if you go on to Reddit Entrepreneur and try and like bang on about your your podcast and that's your sole objective, you'll get shouted down. But the the flip side of Reddit is the traffic is ridiculous. So if you can somehow get your content to the top of it, and then you can earn people's, you you add a lot of value up front. So for example, what I I do is I'd often just share my whole kind of, my whole article or what you could do perhaps, you know, for this podcast or any podcast is actually I've seen you do your recaps with, with guests afterwards. So you, you could kind of distill that recap into a, into um bullet points or even like a short blog i guess of just your thoughts and then afterwards you drop in the link to the podcast by the way um if anyone wants to listen to the audio version of this i'd I've, you know it's here check it out on spotify and on reddit entrepreneur reddit swiss reddit podcast that would all kind of go down well but if, you, if you lead with this like check out my podcast you're gonna get nowhere but if you can somehow if you can somehow you know curry favor you're in for a real treat um, and also the other thing is it's very case by case. So I've never got an upvote on Reddit marketing, which is quite ironic. And that's because they're so hot on self-promotion. They will not let any, they, if you, if I link anything, they won't allow it. So I just, I've stopped posting there, but for, so forums vary based on moderators essentially. So what I do, the first thing I do on Reddit is I'll go to, um, the subreddit. So Reddit podcast on Reddit entrepreneur, ride along, whatever your Reddit social media expert, you know, whatever it is. And I'll go to um, sort by top, top all time. And I'll just read the top posts all time, the top 20 of them. And then you get a sense of what works. So you'll get it. Okay. That post he did, he, he writes it like this. He, then he drops in a link there because the top 20 posts all time, 10 of them will be self-promotion posts, I'd guess, but you kind of see how have they got the self-promotion to work. That's my technique, I suppose. So on the Kanye one, exactly the same thing. Like, okay. I don't know how to self-promote on this forum. I'm quite new to this this subreddit. Top top posts. How does it work? Right, memes are big. You know, push it for a meme. It, there's lots of you learn things just by reading the top posts. Mm-hmm. That's interesting though, because when you think about consumers, the book it's by taking in and just repurposing what everyone else has done, and you're kind of doing that in a way with Reddit then, where you're observing how the top people have done it, taking that in and replicating it in your way to find the same success. I think that's an interesting insight yeah. that you're following what you preach with your book. I never never thought of that, but very true actually. Um, 
that's that's just my technique for everything. Like just copy the people which works the best and then do it back to them. Do it your own way. Yeah. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier there that you, you have blind spots when it comes to certain platforms. And I kind of want to talk, I don't know if you consider it a blind spot or not, but I want to talk about Instagram because marketing examples doesn't have an Instagram. And you mentioned to me before we started recording here that that's the next step for marketing examples. So I'm curious right now, right before the account's really launched, what is kind of your vision or plan for it? <sighs> yeah, great question. So I have a little bit of experience with Instagram just from running the, the Kanye one, but I'm as far from a like a social media expert at all. I was just kind of emulating what other, what other Kanye fan pages were posting at the time or other dating sites were posting. Um, the thing with my examples is they're very, very visual and they're not very word heavy. So I feel like traditionally, let's say a blog is launched on Instagram. That might be quite hard because blogs tend to be 700 words and there's, there's not much visuals going on. So it's hard to share on Instagram, but my market examples is kind of known for quick tips, I guess. So, I feel like I can I can kind of pull them on to, uh, to Instagram. And I, I, I mean, I definitely want to hear what your thoughts are here, but I'm kind of, at the minute, I'm thinking I've got an article, I think, called Seven Ways of Writing Copy That Converts or something like that. And it's just seven really practical tips about writing better copy. Um, we're we're all, with, all, with, all with diagrams. Everything's backed up by kind of before and after um, of what a landing page should, should look like with the tip applied. So my thoughts were that I could do a slideshow, I guess, or a carousel and kind of lead with uh, a, a, a nice visual. And then I guess you'd have to like map 20 or 30 words of the tip onto each slide. And then you'd have the images below and it'd have to look really good. But maybe that's the wrong idea. There's also another option I had was just doing it all video and doing it all quite quite lo-fi, quite low production, where I would just get on camera, kind of iPhone thing and, and just just explain the tip in on video form, like maybe like a 60 second marketing tip. Um, what do you, yeah, what do you think? What, what, how would you go about it? Because I think the slider is a good idea because from what I've seen recently, and I could be wrong, but on content I post through work or from my personal channels and stuff, I noticed that photos perform better than video. So if you're doing the slider, if you can find a way to connect them though, through like some visual aspect or maybe even it's just an arrow in the bottom right corner to indicate that there is more to see so people can slide through it and it like it all flows cohesively. And on top of that too, by doing a slider, which is already kind of your idea, with the way Instagram works is they'll show that post a second time in the feed a little while later on after someone scrolls by it the first time and they'll in automatically swipe to the second post so it doesn't look like the already. same post they've seen already. Yeah, so the algorithm will give you two chances in the feed with a slider versus if it's just an individual post, you get just the one. That's that's pretty interesting. I never knew that at all, actually. So just while, I, while you're here, may as well pick your brains a bit more. So how would I – on Twitter, I completely get how accounts grow. My account's now like nearly 30,000, started about 10 months ago. And people retweet stuff. Other people see it. It grows. But on Instagram, it's such an obvious and stupid question, but there's no retweet feature. Uh, so how, how, yeah, how do accounts grow? Every account on Instagram seems bigger and bigger on Twitter. Sorry, seems bigger. Instagram seems to have always more users than Twitter, but I just don't see how, yeah. How, how do I mean, accounts this is something, grow? I mean, in terms of the retweet feature, what you could do, because I know at the end of all of your threads on Twitter, you have 
link backs at the bottom, if I'm not mistaken, what you could do at the end of your slider on Instagram is you could have that last tile be something like share this in your story with an arrow pointing to the little paper airplane emoji at the bottom of uh, on the phone there so they can share the marketing example directly into their story. That's a good, that's the closest thing you'll get to a retweet on Instagram. It's right. If someone shares something in a story, is that... Yeah, that's big, I imagine, because what percentage of stories get viewed? Any idea or like roughly? I don't know the percentage offhand, but I know personally my Instagram stories get more views than my feed. And I believe it was almost a year ago now, the the consumption on Instagram was trending more towards a larger percentage of time spent on Instagram is going to be spent in stories than in the feed. So getting that share into the into Instagram story is huge. And the way it works is they can click directly to your post from that Instagram story. And Another thing I was, I had another point too I was going to make with Instagram. Oh, it was that with marketing examples, a big thing too that I recently learned with Instagram is because of my background in sports, whenever I think of quote graphics, I think of making them stylized and including somebody in them because when I'm making them for work, it always features a player. But where you have an advantage with marketing examples is people don't like to share quotes and graphics and stuff that have people in it. People like to share quotes and graphics that don't have anybody in it. And marketing examples as of right now doesn't have that with the way your graphics and stuff work. So I think that's going to benefit you and play in your favor as well. Interesting. That's, that's really, really useful. I think, yeah, I've, I've just got to bite the bullet and, and get on with it. Like I've, I've been working on, I'll say that to you actually, I've been working on a, the first slideshow um, for some tips. It's just a matter of publishing and then, and then learning as I go, really. I've got to, got to get cracking. Yeah, 100%. Now, definitely send that to me. I'll be interested to see it. But the next thing, too, I was going to ask is, so with marketing examples, it's your full-time job now, right? I believe you took it full-time around the 8,000 subscriber mark? Yeah, so I I had, I think it was as soon as I got my first sponsor. So I, fortunately, an email company sponsored the site. I kind of, well, they used to. Um, actually, they don't anymore, but I've got, subsequent sponsors and yeah allowed me to work on it full-time at the minute i i i I, it's fully sponsorship based so i don't make uh yeah i do i do okay but you know not massive amounts of money but i think hopefully over time i'll find other ways of monetizing whether that be through some kind of paid community perhaps or through courses or through um um or through maybe maybe making it more productized uh, I don't really want to turn it into a consultancy, I guess, but yeah, it's my, my full-time job at the minute. Mm-hmm. And so how do you go about getting sponsors or do they all just kind of inbound, come inbound to you? So the first one I did, I did cold outreach. I did, I did a talk actually, at a, a event and someone listening was from email octopus and I got talking to him afterwards. It's this email company and we got on really well. So then a couple of months later, I'd set up marketing examples and I just messaged him saying, look, I know it's a really long shot this, but I've got this, I've got this new marketing website aimed at marketers. Obviously that works with your email marketing company. Um, and you know, do you want, do you want to, do you want to try and sponsor it for three months and just see how it goes? And I think that because he'd seen me in, in person and we had like that little personal connection, he went for it. I think if it was just a cold email. He would never have, he would never have went for it. And so he sponsored, they sponsored for three months. And um, that got me up and running. And then my focus has always just been on making the site as good as possible. So every single cold emails take a while to craft. So if I was writing cold emails to try and get sponsors, that would suck up a lot of time. So I haven't, I've just focused on making articles. And fortunately, people come to you. I've had a lot of, yeah, a lot of people come to you really. 
I've ne- I've never done any other cold outreach other than that first that first one. Which is awesome that all those people are coming to you. And ultimately, that's all how you grow your business, people just coming to your site and joining your email list. And with that in mind, I was curious as to what you do to optimize your site to get people to join your email list. Oh, yeah, this is this is really, uh, really, really underrated, actually. Let me just preface this with, let's say you have 10,000 people visiting your website a month. And your site converts, you know, one percent. That's probably what a lot of sites do to email subscribers. I can tell you, in probably about six to in six hours, I can you can you can take that one percent to something like five percent just from some simple tweaks, and then um, your email subscribers will grow five times as fast. You know, one times five. Alternatively, the other option to grow five times fast is to take ten thousand hits a month to fifty thousand hits a month. That that takes years. So the people, people, all these people are saying, how do I make my site bigger, more people to the website? The answer probably isn't that. The answer is to start kind of the bottom of the funnel. And that's conversion. Well, near near enough the bottom of the funnel is conversion. Um, so firstly, I cannot stress how important conversion is. There's, there's, there's sites out there which get 10 times as much traffic as me, but have a small email list just because they, they haven't optimized for, for conversion. So specifically, um, what you want to do, I think, is um, you don't want to say subscribe to my email list to get updates because why the hell would anyone ever would ever would anyone ever put their email in for that? It means nothing. You want to be really specific. Explain explain why why is the big thing? Why should someone sign up? So I think I say on my one uh, to get up the exact words is what I say it quite a few times, but I say join 14,297 marketers getting one practical case study every week. That's a clear why. That's not like subscribe to get updates. No, I'm saying, look, join join these people, join marketers, and there's the social proof there, 14,000 of them getting one practical case study every week. Um, underneath real startups, actionable tips, two-minute reads, less than 4, 0.4% unsubscribe, free forever. And then this, the call to action is upgrade my marketing. There's a little thing in, in call to actions whereby, actually, sorry, I sh- people say call to action. Call, a call to action is subscribe. Um, what people actually want is the value. So I say, don't write call to action so much. Write call to values. Upgrade my marketing. You're showing them the value. That's not the, the, the action is, the action is subscribe, but the value is get become a better marketer that's what people want so so i never i rarely would say subscribe i I, I think on my site um so the first tip is is just have a clear why what are you actually offering them and if you run a podcast you can still grow a big email list you just have to change your why a bit so instead of saying uh a good a good why but not a great why would be uh, subscribe to get updates when new podcasts launch okay pretty good but i'll probably see them on spotify anyway so how could you make that better you could write, I'll actually read off one, which makes it better, word for word, um, is, hold on. So you could write, um, get new, up, subscribe, get new episodes and exclusive commentary from the host. And so you're not just subscribing for the episodes because you'll see them anyway. You're getting that exclusive commentary and kind of review, I suppose, from the host about what they thought. That's the why, that's stuff you can't get elsewhere. So that's, yeah, that's the first thing. Secondly is you want to be really obvious. Uh, there's an author, Paolo Coelho. He's a really famous author, wrote the book, The Alchemist. 
he's got an email list, but I don't think anyone really joins it. No one, no one signs up for it. And it, why is because he doesn't bang on about it. So you have to just be really clear if it's your main kind of call to act, call, if it's your main value proposition, which it isn't in a lot of cases, but for me it is. Emails is a huge deal, and I'm blatantly obvious that I have an email list. I think I ask, I have a pop up, I have um, a, a something on the home, a sticky a sticky nav bar on the homepage, which says get one new case study every week on my Twitter. My bio is like subscribe to the newsletter on my, um, on Reddit. A lot of the time on Reddit, I'll, instead of saying, check out marketing examples, I'll say, look, if you like this, um, check out the newsletter here. So it's just a matter of, of being incredibly clear. I think that you've, um, that you've got, you've got an email list and one sec. And I think, one one other thing which is really underrated is just asking like a human being so if let's say if, you know use him as an example a lot but let's use him as an example again if kanye west was in the business of growing an email list he could write he should write hi i'm creative genius kanye west every song is dope if you want to get notified when i make an email when, when i make a new song pop your email address in the box below and that's that's personal that's he's speaking like kanye is speaking and on, on youtube everyone gets this they say you know, hit the subscribe button if you like, if you like the video, but on, on sites, no one talks like a human being, no one. <laughs> so underneath all my articles, I'll have this little personal thing, which is if you like the article and would like to learn more, um, I've got this email list. I really appreciate it. If you subscribed, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, from my analytics, I, that, that, that's another 5% of people who, who subscribe through that. Um, and I'm going on a hell of a lot with this answer, but finally, I would say do not sleep on pop-ups. People consider email pop-ups to be, you know, um, or any kind of pop-up to be shitty, to be, um, to, they're too proud to have them on their website. And I kind of felt like that before the website, but the reality of is it is simple. 50% of my subscribers come from my email pop-up. And yeah, it might be a little bit annoying. And if I, if I had a choice, I wouldn't put it on there, but the Brutal fact is that without my pop-up, I'd currently have 7,000, not 14,000 subscribers, and I'd still probably be working for, 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 for a company, not working on marketing examples. So I would say, do not be too proud. Um, go for a pop-up, go for a, a pop-up. And if you don't want to annoy people, you can do exit intent pop-ups, which is where only when they leave the website, does the pop-up appear. So you're not, it's not like after 10 seconds, which is, you know, really, really irritating. Um, I think on mine, I try and time it so that when someone leaves the pop-up opens, so it's less irritating. Um, now that was a, you know, a, a, a lot there, probably quite rambly, but I hope there's some value in that answer. I was gonna say there's a lot there, but there was a lot of value there. So thank you for sharing all those tips and if you're willing to share a little bit more, I'm curious, once people opt in to receive your email, what are your tips for sending out your emails? I know you send them every week, so that's kind of your cadence, but I saw somewhere that you have like a 50% open rate. So how do you craft a great subject line and have people coming back every week to read these emails? Uh, two things. So first thing, which I think really everyone should do is um, emails get lost in the promotional folder. A lot, if you, especially if you use Gmail. So if you use Gmail and you've got like a personal Gmail, you know, um, you've got the, um, you, I, I can't remember what the folder is, but the promotional folder is where emails go to die, really. You want to stay out of there. So how do you stay out of there? Is the, when you send a welcome email, you write in it clear instructions about how to whitelist or how to 
adds a context list essentially. So I think my welcome email is along the lines of whilst you're here, one favor to ask is that you whitelist this email address. It prevents the marketing tips going to spam on Gmail web, click the three dots, add to contact list. Or if you're on iPhone, swipe left, um, click more, and then mark not as junk. And um, yeah, these, these instructions aren't the coolest, but they really help open rates because otherwise people just, yeah, the emails slowly but surely are just going to drift into junk, going to drift into promotions, and you're not going to see them. Um, and, it, and it works. That's a big part of my open rate. The other aspect of my open rate, which... I don't think many people do, and I'm not sure it, it's worked for me, but is that my subject lines are the same every single week. And the reason why I do this is to, I do not want my open rate to be tied to clickbait subject lines. Something I've noticed is that you can clickbait once, twice, but people get bored of it after that. And you're kind of in a game where you're trying to come up with a new title. It's kind of like what's happened to Jake Paul, the YouTuber. If you're always trying to come up with this great title, people just think, well, that's not true. And you end up lying about, I don't know, getting someone pregnant or some bullshit like that. So I didn't want to fall down that spiral. So, um, so every, every email is just market examples, um, zero, you know, 34. I actually noticed that on, on your, um, podcast, you do a similar thing with the, uh, on Instagram with the visuals. I've seen the, um, I can't now describe it. You know what I'm talking about? Like the audiograms? Uh, I mean, I mean that that's like physical thing which people hold. It, yeah, it could be that which hash. It's like hashtag and then the number, which people hold. Oh, the light box. Yeah, sorry, I light understand box. what you're saying now. Yeah, the light box. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the idea was just for me is just that 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 means your open rates are steady, so I don't have massive fluctuations. And yeah, good subject lines are a big deal. If you're writing a Black Friday email, you know you want to have a great subject line. But for me, it's just. I, I, I don't want to rely on, I don't want to go on the clickbait routes. Everything's just the same. Mm -hmm. So that, that kind of points you then that the reason you have such a good open rate is because you deliver such good content every single week. And I'm curious if what your process is for writing these case studies, where do you find these examples? How do you find these insights, which I think are doubly interesting about the fact of all these amazing insights that you pull is that you don't have any traditional marketing experience. You didn't go to school for marketing. You've never actually had like a, like a marketing job up until now. So where do you find the case studies? How do you find your insights? And I'm hoping too, you can share a little bit about your five hour creative work rule that you have as well. Oh yeah, of course. So, um, firstly, where I come up with the examples is everywhere and anywhere. I'm like a police dog sniffing for, for crack. Like if I see an example somewhere or like someone's mentions something I like, I'll go deep into it. They come from everywhere. Sometimes someone messages on Slack, like a little one liner, which is, uh, someone mentioned something about, um, how marketing tools just intercom and, um, were, were killing off their SEO. And I just talked to this guy for it for an hour about it and it turned out to be a really really good article a lot of the time it's just reading so i wrote one about nikes how nike sold its first shoes kind of the power of word of mouth and how they went to all these track meets um and sold shoes in the back of their car and how direct it was and that just came from the book shoe dog by um by phil knight um a lot of the time i try and eat my own dog food so to speak so i've wrote about growing 2000 subscribers from my product hunt launch i've wrote about um my own welcome email flow which i kind of talked about which is stuff which i know that work i know works um they, honestly everyone's different like a lot of the time a lot of the time it's just browsing either books or just browsing browsing subreddits browsing twitter reading stuff and then trying to pull 
reading people's blogs and it's just a couple of lines and then you can go on like a whole you can go on a whole day researching it and it ends up to be to be fascinating i mean there was one um i did about chewy's customer service the brand chewy and i just got a message from a friend in america saying that chewy had just sent them uh the dog food brand had just sent them a, a picture of their dog like a portrait of their um of their dog in the post and they were like what's going on it was really random and really lovely marketing so i just looked into it a bit and it turns out that chewy um have a whole army of painters who paint pictures of customers dogs and send them to them for no no fear at all and the more i looked into it like how amazing chewy's customer service was they did loads of other stuff so they send flowers when people's dogs that dogs die they um uh if you buy the wrong type of dog food um and you call customer service to return it they'll just say just donate it to a shelter they send um they, every customer gets welcome with a handwritten card and it just turned out to be a article which just came from you know a message from my friend so yeah everyone everywhere any everyone anywhere and then um about the um the the five hour rule i i feel like there's there's two types of work creative work so there's the dirt which is kind of i say the dirt is it's the battlefield it's where work happens and then there's the clouds which is the high level thoughts which could be like how do i monetize my site how what should i start a youtube channel next should i push instagram harder um what do i really want from the website do i want to work on it for the next five years you know the really kind of higher level thoughts so there's the cloud and the dirts you want to be working in one of those at all times and most people spend time in the middle which is kind of like replying to menial emails which they don't really have to reply to perhaps or going to meetings which are a waste of time and they don't get either of the two the two big things done and i recognize this this is me i put a lot of content out there and the re result of that is i get quite a lot of messages being like nice article or mind helping with this or blah 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 and that just saps your time and energy. So I came up with a rule, which was that when I wake up in the morning, I'm not going to check social media. I'm not going to open Twitter. I'm not going to um, go on LinkedIn. I'm not going to check my phone. I'm not going to listen to any music until I've done until I've done five hours of writing. When I've done five hours of writing, that's like my day done. Great. Now I can now I can now I can have fun on social media now i can share articles it's just about banking that initial time and what i've realized is that if i if i blink once so let's say i break once and i like listen to a, i start listening to a podcast or i check twitter once i will then spiral for the whole day and i cannot get back in my rhythm the only way just personally for me this might be different for other people but the only way for me is it's extremes like if i can just say all right i'm not going to do anything for five hours until I've got the writing done, I can normally stick to that. Um, but if unless I'm, it's unless I'm zero or one, you know, if I break it once, then my whole day is over, and I'm just going to be in between the clouds and the dirt. Is there anybody that you kind of look up to in a business or marketing context? I asked because I recognize clouds in the dirt. Gary Vee uses it in a similar way, but kind of differently. So is there anybody that you follow closely in, in that sense that has a prominent personal brand? Who do I follow? I like, um, so I'm not really going to mention marketers here. Oh, they're, they're cool, but I'm a big fan of Tyson Fury, the boxer. And 
I feel like if anything I get from him is uh, is the authenticity of, of, of the guy. Like I don't think he's particularly. Uh, I think he's not media friendly, so to speak. He's not media trained. He's he's happy to be wrong. He's one of my heroes. I also like so Kanye West is one of my heroes. I think um, in in terms of business sense, I would say there's a guy called Cortland Allen who runs the Indie Hackers websites, which um, I use quite a lot. Who's really on the money, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's a massive overlap with audiences, but he's someone I definitely check out. Really knows his stuff, in my opinion. Um, to be honest with you, I don't tend to. I, I, who? Yeah, I throw this back to you. Who do you? Who in social media or in marketing generally, or like who do you look up? Who do you look up to? I mean, it's kind of changing right now. I feel like, especially since everything's happened with quarantine over the last month or so. I found myself reading a lot and looking at different people. I definitely think David Perel is someone I consume a lot of his content. I just think he constantly tweets good stuff. Another great person is Matthew Kobach or <laughs> Kobach. No, I'm sure how you say his last name. You know who I'm talking about though. He always He's consistent, always tweeting really good stuff. I think Gary Vee, I have to throw him in there just because he's someone that I've followed pretty closely for the last couple of years. My consumption on him is down a little bit lately, but those are three that come to mind right now in terms of people that I'm consuming a lot. Oh, Last little bit. That's interesting because I listen. I like Matthew Kobach a lot as well. He's he's good on very good on Twitch. I've learned a lot from him. I sometimes think, okay, let, let's just talk about. I don't want to get down too much a rabbit hole, but why do you think Matthew Kobach has done so well? He's he's killing it on Twitter right now, un, undeniably. What do you think? I think part of it. Great. Grant, so granted, I just watched a I, an online webinar. I, they, he did one with David Perel, and they talked about Twitter specifically. So I jumped in on that, and I listened to it. And kind of what I think his is, is his tweets are easily digestible. You get a lot. like They're easy to read. They're well-written. He spends a lot of time crafting his tweets so that they get that way. He's also consistent posting multiple times a day or at least every single day, if not multiple times a day. And I think he just tweets truths that we all understand and accept, but we don't necessarily understand that everybody else understands them. So when we see them, we resonate with it because we realize it's an insight we have that we didn't realize we had that everyone else has so that when people see that, they then retweet it. And then that just grows from there. I, uh, spot on. I think that to reiterate, he talks a lot about reducing consumption friction. It's like a little term he's coined and he he the definite his account is the definition of that there, i don't think he's he never links anything everything is just black text no hashtags no jargon short as possible and that's something i just realized with him now is he's also not afraid of failing too much like there's two tweets i'm just reading of his one says i scroll past poorly written tweets and so does everyone else and it's got four retweets which for his account is pretty is pretty awful probably the worst i've seen from him he gets a load of engagement and another one is the reason why instagram has more users than twitter it's easier to post a photo of an idea he did the tweets an hour apart and the other one has 362 retweets and nearly 3,000 likes and i think in a way one of his strengths is that he i think posting posting bad content is considerably worse than posting nothing at all but at the same time you've got to you don't want to be too proud that you're afraid to fail. And something which I've learned from him actually is that 
I think I take my own Twitter account a bit too seriously at times. So I probably post two or three times a week, whereas he'll post three, literally probably two, three times a day. And um, there's definitely a learning by doing aspect to it, which I kind of miss out on because my my um, feedback loop is just consistently less than his. He's getting in, you know, 21 rounds of feedback, whereas I'm getting in free, literally free. Um, but yeah, no, a really great account and someone who has 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 nailed it. I think also there's something on Twitter where you can get a reputation for providing the value or providing source. Because if someone else writes, the reason why Instagram has more users than Twitter, it's easy to post a photo than an idea. You know, it's it's a good point, but it's not like wow, my mind is blown kind of thing. I think it's, as as you mentioned, it's the fact that he just does it consistently. That people are like, um, oh, that's a Matthew Kobach for bam, like retweet. Whereas I know accounts with knowing we could write that and get no likes or retweets, obviously. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. How was the Instagram live with him, David? Like, what did you pick up? It was really good. I actually took some notes here. Let me see if I can pull them up quickly of what I took away from that. Cause I find I learned best by taking notes whenever I read or watch videos and stuff. Uh, where is it here? I think something that they just talk about, obviously how to make a good tweet concise and everything like that. Um, and then to your point where the feedback loop you get is smaller than Matthew's, that's the thing he pointed out that by tweeting every day for a month, you can then go back and analyze every single tweet, see what worked well, what didn't. And then the following month, do more tweets like the ones that performed well. And then you'll have more tweets that perform well the next month. And then you look back and you just keep iterating on what's working and what's not. So he probably spends more time reviewing his content than more, most people would give him credit for, I think. And I think and then they talked about Two is curating just a really good feed and engaging with the people within your feed. That's a big thing as well. I, I picked that up from him. I think he says that he writes back to everyone who writes to him. And I've noticed this massively. Like when people write me emails, if I spend an hour or 20 minutes, a good amount of time replying to them, that's a way of turning that person who just wrote an email into a, into a fan. And then it's I noticed that it's always them who end up the next week, I see them like they've done a blog post and they've mentioned my site or they've posted my article on Twitter or they've posted it on Facebook or whatever. It's actually uncanny how big a deal that is. Like I, I run through the 50 people of market examples who share the content, like fortunate that they share the content. And I would say 45 of them I've had like lots of back and forths with and that's how you get them closer to you. It's a, It's so true. No, absolutely. And kind of on the vein of Matthew Kobach and these people with these big personal brands, I'm curious if you're ever going to spend more time growing yours. Like you do a great job growing the marketing examples brand and people know that and you don't hide the fact that you're the person behind it, but you have considerably less followers than marketing examples does. I don't even, not even, I couldn't find you on Instagram. Is there ever a thought to start making content around Harry Dry? Yeah. So hundred percent. So I think at the moment, my life is in the get money phase. Sounds kind of weird and arrogant, but I want to, to <laughs> I, I want to free up my time right now. And the way of doing that is by trying to make lots of money. That's why I'm putting it all into market examples, the, the brand. Once that's at a level, I, I think, again, it sounds arrogant, but I think I have personally have got more interesting stuff to say about the world and I have to say about marketing. 
So yeah, I really do want to do that. Why aren't I doing it in sync? It's a good question. I probably should be doing more of it, but I don't know. I think, yeah, I probably should do more of it. But I'm also conscious that I don't want to be someone on Twitter who just writes, I call them fortune cookie accounts, and it's very harsh. But what I mean is it's just stuff you read in fortune cookie, and what does it really mean? It's quite hard to add real substance sometimes. So, I mean, with my own marketing account, that's why like 99% of tweets accompanied by by graphics illustrating the before and after or whatever. And yeah, I mean, I'm giving a pretty dumb answer to this question, but I really do. It's just give me, give me a year, hopefully. And then the marketing site will be financially much better off. And then I can free up the time to do that myself. That's awesome. So with that in mind, then what's next, like immediately and long-term, what's your goal? Um, so immediately is, is growing the site out to, I I think I want to, I'm looking at in, again, in my head, it sounds probably arrogant, but I I think I want to try and make, um, I don't know. I was going to put, I was going to put a number on it, but I won't like, it's about, yeah, monetizing, uh, monetizing marketing is obviously in a major way, specifically, I think I want to try and take a lot of the stuff over to YouTube. We've mentioned Instagram, but I think I've got all those examples, like 50 really, really solid, great marketing examples. I want to just present them on Instagram, on sorry, on YouTube and try and grow, uh, grow, grow the YouTube page. I just feel like that's where everyone's going these days. That's, that's where kids spend more time watching YouTube than TV. Like it's a no brainer to get my stuff on there. Um, And then it's either kind of, do I look at a paid course? Do I look at a course perhaps? Or do I look at a community? Or do I just keep growing the audience and then look at a bigger company potentially trying to buy the site? Um, I'm not too sure. Uh, I I, I think specific uh, short-term marketing examples, I'm just trying to to do it week by week, crank out another great piece. I think someone says, what's the future? And the future is just doing what I'm doing already, but even better right now. I don't want to take my eye off the ball. I don't want to try and build a jobs board or a, um, or this and that and, 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 and forget why people like the site in the first place. Um, and longer term, I think there's things which I currently feel passionate about, which are the education in the world. So I feel like, uh, I feel like universities are really quite obsolete i think that other than so the social side which is a huge deal i just don't see why then like why why when the best teachers are online are we all going to lecture theaters still and paying nine thousand pounds when in england and the us even more um not quite sure what it's like in canada but to learn so that's a subject which i'd like to tackle and as well as that i've got this idea that um everyone is programmed very, very programmed, either uh, all the inputs in in their minds over the years, and that's who they are. So it could be like your parents. For me, it was my parents saying, go to university, um, go take the job, you know, live the secure lifestyle. And and we're, we're just, we are, or another example of programming is why can't you walk up, or why can't I walk up to that that girl on the street and you know start talking to her just because society has programmed into me that I should be afraid of rejection and fear and all that so I want to become as an individual very unprogrammed and and kind of like strip myself back to more of the monkey state this sounds like a really odd 
you know, I nearly conclude this podcast, but I, I, I really feel strong enough, strong about this society saying, don't do this, don't do that all the time. Um, so I want to, I want to try and get to the bottom of this and I haven't formulated it very much yet, but I intend on trying to live as unprogrammed as possible very deliberately and then trying to explain uh, explain is the wrong word but try and maybe write about it i'm not quite sure what's going to happen here this is miles away in the sky but there's going to be a, a piece of work later in life by harry called i'm um, something to i'm um, being unprogrammed uh work it out um so yeah i'm in the get money phase at the moment and then we'll see what happens in the future but um what do you think of my of my of my kind of awful plan <laughs> I mean, I don't, it's tough for me to make any like judgments off the bat. I think it's going to kind of come to form more so over time, right? Like right now, I think it's, like you said, it's kind of miles away up in the sky. But as you progress through life, I think you'll kind of be able to flush it out more and really understand what that looks like. Yeah, I agree. I think hopefully a year and a half, two more years, right, writing on marketing. Actually, I, I, actually, I always like writing on marketing, so that will happen forever, I think, but um yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm going to play this back in a couple of years and see where I'm at. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm right now definitely very. We'll see what happens. Is the answer? No, definitely. But before we wrap up, I ask everyone the same standard set of questions. I know we're running long here. I remember right before we started recording, you you That's said that maybe right. two hours, and I laughed because I thought we wouldn't hit two hours. But here we are. But the, so I ask everyone the same standard set of questions. We'll try and run through them pretty quickly. The first one being, you're going to dinner. You can take anybody dead or alive. Who do you take to dinner? <laughs> Love these questions. Um, oh. Oh God, damn it! I, I've said Kanye too much in this interview, so I'm going to go with Charles Bukowski. <laughs> the right. You get three people, so you oh, can. I got three people. You can take uh, three. I'm going to take. I'm going to take Charles Bukowski. Uh, I'm going to take Muhammad Ali, and I'm going to take my my great my granddad, but currently he's um, got dementia, so he's not quite with it. But I'm going to take the younger version of him. Who would have just had a? He's a, he was a boxer, so he'd have really got on with Ali well. And I'd I'd like to learn. I I I, I didn't know him too well, um, so I'd take him, the younger version of him. That's awesome, man. I really like that answer. What is some of the best advice you've ever gotten? Um, there are, there are no adults. Everybody is making it up as they go along. So figure it out yourself and do it. Very true. I'm learning that myself now as I become somewhat of an adult next question what is one thing about you people wouldn't expect <laughs> god these questions are great you you have to answer these one day yourself i think on like the last the 200th episode or something uh one thing about me that people wouldn't expect um oh, damn it like what wouldn't expect about me uh i am uh people might not expect this but i uh, what am I? Uh, I'm blabbering. Uh, I, I'm good at tennis and I love tennis, but it's a it's a shocking answer <laughs> to the question. Fair enough. I was, I was under pressure there. I couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> that that's okay. What is what is one thing that's so important everybody needs to know? <laughs> what was so important everyone needs to know? Um, okay, I would say to them that um you you're gonna die pretty damn soon just remember that 
For the final question, I like to flip the script a little bit. But so instead of me asking the question, it's you asking the question, but it's not to me. So pretend you have this crystal ball and you can ask this crystal ball any question and you'll get the answer. What is one question you want to know the answer to? Okay. So am I asking this like um, in the future or am I asking this? It's in the future or am I asking this like about, I don't know, Jesus Christ or something? It's, it's in the future. Just the it can be any question at all. So just pretend like I gave you this crystal ball right now and you get to ask it one question and you get the 100% honest answer. Ooh, um, I would ask it. <laughs> what would I ask it? Um, but I don't know, like, could I change the answer if I asked a specific question? That's what I'm thinking. But the answer would be no, I guess, because the answer would be the answer. I don't want to know anything about my life. I'm happy for it to play out the way it plays out. So I'd ask it um, maybe maybe I'd ask it if Roger Federer will win another Wimbledon. That's what I'd ask it to put my mind at ease on that. And then I'd have a bet. <laughs> <laughs> what would you ask what would you ask that's a, that's a hard question that's a really interesting hard question i'm gonna think about that as well it is a hard question i wasn't expecting you to throw it back at me because i probably don't have the best answer for it i think right i think right now the question i would ask is what should i do like i'm at this point in my life where i'm trying to figure out what's next and i think it'd be nice to have someone just tell me what i'm supposed to do that's a yeah that's a far better answer than i gave yeah well, supposed to do i off what you said i'd probably say um i don't know i don't know it's it's late in the uk <laughs> i've got no idea but i'm gonna think about that one tonight fair enough man but i want to thank you so much for sitting through this marathon podcast with me i think there's a chance that this is the longest one ever i know the just dustin one the red romina one those stretch past two hours this one might be up there as one of the longest podcasts i've ever done so i want to thank you like you said it's late in the uk right now it's after 11 p.m i believe so thank you so much i want to give you the floor where can the people find you where can they find marketing examples plug everything and anything that you got right, right now well, firstly jacob genuinely uh thanks thanks a hell of a lot like i've never had um yeah there was i i, I don't even know half the, the stuff you mentioned about me i'd forgotten about it was that good how interesting to go back in time so i really enjoyed the the trip talking about all my old stuff um i the site's marketingexamples.com um and actually what we talked about a little bit was the, the Kanye story so it's just the Kanye story.com and it's a it's a bit of a it's an odd read but a fun read and um I think on on Twitter it's marketing a uh, good marketing HQ and um yeah like feel free to email me as well if you'd like to talk about marketing or you've got any questions or whatnot it's harry at marketing examples.com um love to like yeah love to chat and always down to help and yeah thank you for listening dear listener you've made it through two hours of this so <laughs> cheers harry i appreciate the kind words and i want to thank you once again for being on this podcast and i want to thank everybody for listening whether you've listened the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces i really appreciate you taking time to check this out everyone do me a big favor go and check out marketing examples go and subscribe to the email newsletter i'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below and if you like to follow me you can find me on twitter and instagram at, at the jacob kelly feel free to come and say hello my dms are always open if you like to follow the podcast you can find us on instagram at, at my social life podcast or on youtube by searching up my social life Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.